This is Talking Mule Deer with your hosts, Steve Belinda and Jody Stemmler. Talking Mule Deer takes you on a journey to learn more about the Mule Deer Foundation, Mule Deer and Blacktail Deer Biology and Management, tips and tactics for hunting, conservation issues, and even features some of our corporate and celebrity partners. Now, let's start talking Mule Deer. This is Jody Stemmler. And I'm Steve Blinden. Welcome back to another episode of Talking Mule Deer. Um, hey, Jody, we're going back to Wyoming today. I know. Yay! That, uh, I love yay. going to Wyoming. Yeah, too bad it's not hunting. Uh, no, well, that's true, but uh, the, the the hunting season there I know is pretty decent. And, uh, well, we tried to go up and do some sagegrass hunting and didn't see any, but uh, beautiful yeah, and weather. And I burned all my points last year, so. Yeah, uh, true story. Can, yep. Yeah. Another, another few years before I'm going to make it back to, to hunt big game, but uh, we've got with us today uh, two of our employees from Wyoming. Um, we have Sean Blaze Jack, who's our regional director uh, for Wyoming, and we've talked to him. And we also have Nicole Reed. Nicole is is new to the MDF world. She started last summer. Um, she's a habitat partnership coordinator in southern Wyoming and northern Colorado. Welcome to the Talking Mule Deer podcast. Thanks, Steve and Jody. It's it's great to be here. Well, we're really excited to have you both on. Tell us a little bit, Nicole. Again, you started in the summer, but we've all been going a little bit crazy with projects. Uh, you you hit the ground running for sure, and uh, and hunting seasons and things like that. So, this is our first chance to actually sit down and chat with you. Tell us a little bit about your background, where you came from, and and a little bit about what you're planning to do with the MDF. Sure. Yeah. So I am a Wyoming native. I actually grew up here in Carbon County, um, which is where I am stationed once again. And so it's great to be back here um, in the mountains and in Platte Valley. Um, And my background is really it's with wildlife biology. So I grew up um, just in the mountains, out skiing, hiking, camping, doing all of the outdoorsy things. And so that really naturally led me into wanting to be out there again for my profession. And so I pursued a degree in wildlife biology at the University of Wyoming. And then I also did my master's degree there um, studying human elephant conflicts in Southern Wyoming. Go Pokes. Yeah, go Pokes. Um, So that really, that information and that study really led me quite well into this position. I was able to demonstrate the work that we'll be doing with mule deer and other ungulates throughout the West and um, just really being able to work with those landowners and getting projects done as far as um, helping the habitat here. So those things have really led nicely into my career here with Mule Deer Foundation. Now, Jody, it's interesting. Um, you know, my wife's from that same area. Uh, we're a little bit older. Um, she's not, I am. Um, <laughs> she's not. Uh, it, it, you know, the first day Nicole started that we went down, we actually met in an area where I fart- started my career on the Brush Creek Ranger District. Where you farted? The, uh, yeah, where I farted. Um, so, slip of the tongue early in the morning. So, <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so it's interesting to watch someone come back to the area that I started my career in and, and listen to Nicole talk about the projects she wants to work on because, you know, I worked on those 30 years ago in the same area. So um, that makes it well. But, you know, really the, the India thing has been fascinating to us. And recently we we got to spend some time with Nicole on a shrub planting project. And she was regaling us with stories about eating people's food in India. And, and um, you know, you don't think someone working in mule deer conservation in Wyoming would have sort of an international experience like that. But I, I think it brings a great perspective uh, that she has to the table with, with conflict management, with partnership building. But, you know, Nicole, one thing I'm going to ask you is, um, from your work in India, what did you learn that's probably most applicable to the work you do now? Yeah. So I think that the biggest thing for me as a takeaway has been that whether I'm working with elephants in India or I'm working with, mule deer here in Wyoming, the way that you approach the landowners and the way that you you work with your partners and other people on your projects really makes or breaks the project as a whole. Um, and so in India, being able to really relate to the people there and 
even though we live half a world away from one another, it was it was nice to be able to sit down and get to know them first and understanding why they do the things that they do and what is driving them and their family in their farming endeavors. It's the same type of thing here in Wyoming. So understanding what it is that the ranchers and the landowners here are needing from the Forest Service or they're needing from the Mule Deer Foundation. Understanding those things really helps you build the connection and then it helps you move forward with doing other projects and being able to really work with them on a one-on-one -on -one basis because unless you have that trust with one another then you aren't going to be able to really move forward in any sort of partnership. Great and you know before we jump into what specifically you've been working on we don't want to forget about Sean. Um, Sean, you're a Wyoming native too. And I think, you know, looking at an organization that's, you know, as small as MDF is to have two Wyoming natives or, or locals, as we call them, working back in the state that they grew up in, I think is pretty special. Um, Sean, tell us a little bit, you know, you're in Powell with the northern part of the state. Um, you know, how have you been able to work with Nicole since she's been on? No, oh, we work together quite often. Um, she gets a lot of the stuff down, done down in the southern part of the state, and sometimes I'll ask her opinions on different projects up north. Um, but yeah, we've even worked on a fencing project together that we'll probably get into here in a bit. Um, we also work with some landowners and land stewards like Forest Service, BLM, and some private landowners. So making some good headway and getting some projects lined up on the ground. Yeah, I was going to say this segues a little bit into some of uh, before Nicole came out, because I know we did talk about um, in a past podcast, we'd have to think back about when it was. But a few years ago, we received a National Fish and Wildlife Foundation grant for project work uh, on the corridors, the Platte Valley and the um, sublet herds in uh, Wyoming. And I know if I'm not mistaken, Steve, did we not just close out that grant? Well, tell us a little bit about what was accomplished through that. Well, I'll leave the specifics to Sean um, because he sort of uh, knows the actual locations uh, better than I do. Um, but yes, we, we received a 900 plus thousand dollar grant from the NIFWIF Foundation and we partnered with the Wyoming Game and Fish Department to get the work done. Focused so this was on... this was through uh, Secretarial Order three three six two, right? The yeah. the implementation process of that. They go through a grant funding process um, every year where organizations, agencies, others can apply for grants in priority corridors, uh, right? So this Correct. is this is what this grant was intended to help facilitate the active habitat management projects, uh, habitat restoration work in priority corridors um, connected to Secretarial Order 3362. Right. And so as part of that order, as if folks remember, that each state had to do a state action plan, which identified between three and five priority areas. We took that action plan, reached out to Wyoming Game and Fish, put together a proposal, sent it in. We got it funded. It actually was the first round of those grant cycles, and it was the largest grant to date. So um, there was a lot of eyes, a lot of pressure, and, and a lot of, you know, riding on us being very successful. Then COVID hit. So, you know, we sort of got derailed a little bit. But the great thing about COVID, um, if one thing, a lot of the field work didn't stop. It got delayed. You know, we had to figure out a different way of doing business in the field. But we were able to get that out there. Um, working with people in the time of a pandemic became you know, something we had to deal with. But ultimately, you know, we are able to take that that funding, nine hundred plus thousand dollars, match it with another about a million dollars and end up, you know, the totals, um, I'm looking at the, the tally sheet right now. There was a total of twenty thousand five hundred and ninety-three acres treated for annual invasive plants, mostly cheatgrass and other things that, you know, are bad vegetation for for wildlife and, and for livestock. Um, 56 and a half miles of fencing was removed, modified, and made to uh, wildlife-friendly standards. And then, you know, 1,285 acres of habitat work in either juniper uh, removal in sagebrush areas or uh, enhancement work in Aspen. So, you know, when you think about those numbers and you think about, you know, the partnership, the agreements and everything else, you know, this was a very successful grant from everybody's standpoint. 
Uh, we've learned a lot through it. We subsequently have gotten other grants from that same program in other states. So it, you know, really proved our metal. It proved that we could do these jobs and it proved that we could really, you know, take this concept of taking a secretarial order aimed at conservation and enhancement of some special areas for big game and, you know, roll that out into projects on the ground. So, um, Again, Sean, why don't you just tell them, you know, the type of work we did in both of those areas? So a lot of the stuff we did, you know, like you were saying, was vegetation treatments, trying to prevent the spread of some of these invasive species. And, you know, in Wyoming, we're getting more and more of those with all the urban sprawl and the different industries that go on with people moving seeds from place to place. So that really helps. And then in these areas, deer are already facing a lot of challenges. So we've been able to do a lot of that fence work. So we'll put like a solid top rail on a fence or, you know, a smooth wire on the top and then move the bottom off the ground at least, you know, 16 to 20 inches. That way fawns can get underneath. Um, that kind of work really helps deer move through those corridors so they're less stressed and, you know, their groceries can be used better from than going around a fence or getting hung up in a fence and dying. So get a lot of that kind of work done. Majority of it was in sublet. Um, obviously we did quite a bit in Platte County too, or the Platte Valley too. I mean, and you know, all that work has been really good and well-received and we appreciate all of Wyoming Game and Fish Department's help and all the contractors that did the good work on the ground. So Jody, um, Sean and I went and looked at these, I guess that was last year, Sean, um, the ones in Sublet County and, and it was after hunting season, uh, for deer. But, you know, these are in migration corridors. So we actually got to see animals migrating through and using the new fences. And how the, the, the one particular one we were looking at um, had a solid top rail. And the ease of the animals going up to that fence and getting over. And, you know, I always, when I see animals jumping fences, I always, I've pulled enough out of fences that I always get a little nervous. But to know that they're getting over that and seeing, you know, 30 does come down in a line and, and easily from, from mama doe to, to the yearlings of that year go over that fence. And we actually watched some pronghorn go under the fence with the smooth wire. And then you know, we saw a couple nice bucks, too. So it was really um, it, it was it was good to see that stuff. It really, you know, gave you a pride of ownership and, and pride of of being able to know that what you're doing is being effective out there for the intent and the purpose. Well, and, you know, and I, we're going to have to take a break to hear from our supporters here in just a moment, but, um, but I want to follow up on that because a lot of times, unfortunately, you're, the work that we do on the ground may not have an immediate, you may not necessarily see right away that that's making a difference with those fences. It is, almost instantaneous that you can see that. And I think it's incredible to, to be involved in that. And I know that's a, a, a lot of the work that you guys have been doing there and including a project that we worked on together in Southern Wyoming here a couple of months ago. So we need to hear from our supporters. When we come back, let's finish wrapping up on the NIFWF grant. And then maybe we can talk a little bit more about that fencing project we did near Laramie. If you're buying or selling a trophy hunting or fishing property in the Western U.S., our friends at St. James Sporting Properties should be your go-to resource. St. James Sporting Properties is more than an elite group of professional ranch brokers. They're also passionate about chasing monster mule deer, highly successful big game hunters, and avid outdoorsmen. When you combine their passion and expertise in the outdoors with their industry-leading marketing program, you're guaranteed to have a first-class experience. For more information, Go to the supporting partners page on muledeer.org or give St. James Sporting Properties a call today to buy or sell your dream sporting property. All right, we're back. We had just been talking about the the work that you guys did uh, through the National Fish and Wildlife Foundation grant and some of the fencing projects. Was there any other aspects that you guys wanted to cover before we segue into that Pole Mountain project? There's one thing I want to mention, Jody. You know, there's been a lot of when the secretary order first came out and the Department of Interior uh, set forth it in motion, um, there was a lot of skepticism of, and a lot of confusion of its intent. And, you know, we've, we've, we've talked about this. We've, we've had a lot of conversations, but one of the things that it did do, it, it got us to focus. It really got us to look at whether it was a state agency, whether it was a partner, 
whether it was a federal agency or even a landowner, it got us to look at what could be done in very specific areas for a very specific reason. And so that focus, I think, ultimately led to the success that we experienced in Wyoming and that a lot of other states and partners that are getting funding through that order are are having because it is is basically taking that if everything's a priority nothing's a priority and so it forced us to look at you know the states in particular to look at those areas that they'd been working on and they had data for and say this is a priority this is what we think we can get done and then it allowed us to come in and work with those states and say okay this is what we're going to do whether it be fencing or herbicide spraying for invasive weeds or habitat enhancement in aspen areas. And I think, you know, we often forget that policy can lead to good management and can lead to successful conservation. And and this is a really good example. There, There are a lot of other things out there that need to happen for deer, for pronghorn, for elk, for sage grouse, for wild sheep, everything. But really this, this order really, allowed us to focus at that certain point in time with some dedicated funding to build partnerships. And one of the things that um, we hired Nicole for was basically to increase partnerships. And that and that's a relationship that we have with the U.S. Forest Service on the Medicine Bow Route National Forest, and which led us right to the next thing we want to talk about, which was the, the fencing project at Pole Mountain. But I, I just wanted to say that because we often forget that this wasn't just a politician out there. This wasn't an unfunded mandate from the federal agencies. This really gave purpose and actionable conservation to the cause. I think that's a really uh, good thing to reiterate because we've talked about uh, people have heard about secretarial order 3362 we've talked about it we've talked about some of the projects i think three four years in now uh almost four it'll be four years from the signing when we uh meet again in at hunt expo in february we're really truly are starting to see some of the the benefits of that some of the first years we really had to focus wyoming was one of the states that had some solid data and really knew where some of those priorities would be off the top some of the other states have been a little bit farther behind and had some of the the funding that immediately came out of the order to go to research for their work but but we're we are starting to see some of the benefits of how policy trickle down to action on the ground and how that action is making a difference for wildlife so, so yeah, I, I think that's a, a really important thing to, to reiterate to everybody of, of tying in how all of these levels and the important role that MDF has played for both from getting that policy implemented to uh, getting the policy in place, I should say, and then imp- also implementing it on the ground through habitat-based par- projects. So, uh, so kudos to, to you guys there in Wyoming, as well as a lot of the other states. Uh, well, we'll one last come- thing, and then I promise we'll go to poll. But, um, you know, there was some really good leadership from the federal agencies on this. And so we have to give them credit, but really um, the the ability for us to take this into a new administration can't be understated. Um, As administration changes, regardless of politics, new ideas, new policy, new priorities come in. And we have through our discussions with this administration, the Biden administration and the people that are making the decisions on the direction they want to go. I think it is in agreement that this has been a successful policy and a successful operation. It's probably going to be tweaked, but I don't think we're going to lose the ability to work on migration corridors and other special habitats for big game underneath this administration. No, that that's for sure, and and I and that's that again. You're right. That that durability uh, is very unusual. So. Segwaying now into what we actually uh, have both uh, Sean and Nicole on. Let's talk a little, get back to Wyoming. Uh, we and, don't and- need no stinking guests. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, so I worked with you guys on a project on National Public Lands Day, which is also National Hunting and Fishing Day that was there in southeast Wyoming. We did a fence conversion on Pole Mountain that uh, we produced one video and another one that is uh, that is coming out right around the time that this podcast comes out to describe the work there in southern Wyoming. 
Tell us a little bit about what that project was, what happened there that day. Um, we had some some great imagery and stuff coming out about it, but I don't think we've really talked very much about what was accomplished there. Great. Yeah, thanks, Jody. I think the in a nutshell, the project that we had was over on Pole Mountain, and it was a fence conversion and fencing removal project. So we were able to um, remove a lot of woven wire fencing, which is one of the worst type, types of fencing for wildlife. They tend to get entangled in the fencing. And as time goes by, you also see the, the soil and the plants growing up through that woven wire fencing, which really inhibits the wildlife from moving under it at all or even moving over it. And so um, that was really a key part of this project was removing that type of fencing. And then we also converted um, five strand barbed wire fencing to three strand wildlife friendly. And so what we mean by wildlife friendly fencing is that we adjust the top height of the top wire. Um, and then we also adjust the bottom wire to be a little bit higher off the ground. And we actually took it one step further and we um, changed that bottom wire to smooth wire. So it allows the other animals like pronghorn or fawns to maneuver under the fencing. And then uh, by adjusting the top height, it allows the larger animals like doe, buck, and, and even elk to maneuver over that fencing a little bit easier. And so we see um, a less of a, of a boundary for the wildlife to move through. And Really, the key for this project was its proximity to the crucial winter range that is pretty close to Laramie. And so we were really wanting to allow the wildlife to move from a wildlife um, habitat management area that was just designated by Wyoming Game and Fish um, to that migration or that um, winter range that's pretty close to there. And so it really allowed us to do that. But it also allowed us to work with our partners more closely and to establish some working relationships with some of the volunteers from the communities of Laramie and Cheyenne. I think that's uh, that's an important part of this too. So the, the project was in partnership with the Boone and Crockett Club, uh, which was great. And, and there was a lot of uh, synergy with the, them as well. The other part of it was because it was both National Public Lands Day and National Hunting and Fishing Day, we had MDF volunteers there. We had some folks that are very involved in uh, wildlife, you know, sportsmen's issues in, in the area. But we also had uh, broader community members. There's that the the lower part of the Pilot Hill is am I right? The Pilot Hill Recreation Area there is a hiking and biking uh, area. They they've done a very progressive. Um, efforts to to coordinate making sure that that that, that they're they're uh, directing where the traffic is going to be and limiting disturbances during wintertime when there's wildlife that are using the area but this project we had 40 volunteers uh, that included MDF staff and Boone and Crockett staff as well as the um, US Forest Service and and Wyoming game and fish but then there were um, bikers and, and folks from Wy uh, University of Wyoming. Tell us a little bit about who all, because I know some organizations we don't typically work with were there. Yeah, that's right. We had such a great turnout of volunteers. Um, I think a large amount of them were coming from the National Public Lands Day initiative that the university had put on. And so they were really trying to draw volunteers from the community into different volunteer projects. And so ours was one of three, I believe, maybe four that were offered that day. And so the fact that we were able to draw that many people from these different groups, such as um, Common Outdoor Ground, that's one of the main groups that was helping out. And then we also had um, just members from the community who were really interested. They saw the work that we were doing. They saw the information that was provided, and they were really interested in working on something that had to do with wildlife. And I think that's important because they had a choice of several projects, National Public Lands Day projects that they could sign up for. And, and you know, that was a core group of people that signed up for this project, chose to sign up for this project. So we need to take another break. Um, and when we come back, I wanted to talk a little bit more segue. We can we can wrap up what we did on Pole Mountain, but I'd like to um, to start talking a little bit more about some of the things that you are hoping to do. Uh, working in Southern Wyoming, and and then also talk a little bit more about some of the stuff Sean's got coming up his sleeve uh, in all broader parts of the state. So let's take a break and hear from our supporters, and we'll be right back. 
The best hunting stories begin long before the harvest. They begin with the hard work of conservation groups like the Mule Deer Foundation, working tirelessly to protect our hunting traditions. As a proud partner of MDF, Vortex Optics is dedicated to improving your experience in the field by offering you rugged, innovative optics and apparel backed by our VIP warranty, our unlimited lifetime promise to take care of you whenever you need us. Together, let's ensure Mule Deer always have a place to roam. The best hunting stories are yet to be told. Learn more at VortexOptics.com. Elk, sheep, big old muleys, not a problem for the 27 Nosler. We packed it with more downrange punch than the 300 Win Mag. We designed it to be flatter shooting than the 6.5 PRC. The 27 Nosler is everything you've heard, all that you've asked for, and plenty more. So enough talking. Check out the numbers for yourself and see what makes the 27 Nosler such a beast at nosler.com. All right, guys. So right before we took a break, we were hearing a little bit more about the Pole Mountain Project. Again, uh, we did put a one-minute video out shortly after that, but there's going to be some more video assets coming out, and we will be publicizing those when they come and, and land so that you can take a look of that project. Uh, we had a partnership with the Boone and Crockett Club, and there's a video that they're getting put together as well. So we'll be steering people in the direction of being able to see these videos uh, so you can have a little better sense of what that project was. Nicole, did you have any other thoughts about how that Jody, all came before to before we leave Paul Mountain I just want to say as as Nicole's supervisor and, and someone who works closely with Sean you know they did a fantastic job of pulling this off um you know the the president CEO of both MDF and Boone and Crockett showed up and you know I got letters uh emails to me from friends in the forest service and and in the community down there you know just uh congratulating us for pulling this off because it was a well done um you know, there were always hiccups, um, but it, it ended up being a really good project. And, you know, I think it helped solidify what we're trying to do in the southern part of the state, but also gave right out of the start, you know, Sean and Nicole something they could collaborate together on. And that's something we're trying to do more and more is to get our regional directors more involved with what the conservation team's doing. And so thank to both of you, a job well done. Yeah, I'd like to reiterate that because, uh, Nicole, I know you were relatively fresh on the scene when this got handed to you. Uh, so it was a trial by fire by far uh, because it's relatively easy proximity for me. I was there, as was my husband and daughter, helping out. And, and it was... Um, it was quite a, an incredible experience to be involved in seeing that many people together working together. So great working with you guys, putting that event on and, and congratulations to you both to, to making that such a great, great event. And, and one last thing, um, we were able to uh, make the investment in a fence winder as the organization. So now we have that, this, this was the uh, impetus for us to invest in a, in a piece of machinery that's going to allow us to pull woven wire fence throughout the state, throughout northern Colorado and other places, because we now have it and we can use it and, you know, we can loan it out. We can use it for our own projects. We can do all the things, but the, the, those things are incredible as long as you figure out to not wrap it as tight around the spool so you can get the old wire off. Yeah, <laughs> that's no, a pretty common mistake. That was uh, that was absolutely, and it was the funding through this project that allowed us to to get that, and and uh, and I have seen it now, having seen it in work, man, that that wire winder is pretty impressive. It beats tying it up to the ball of your 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 truck and yeah, on, like we we used to do, right, Sean? <laughs> well, you know, and then we would hand wind it. So. Yeah, no, no lie, we did we did roll some fence as well, um, but uh, but once you hook that thing up, it it sure went faster. Yes, it did. Yeah. And I, I think that it's a great opportunity for us to just thank the Boone and Crockett um, Club and just being able to purchase that type of, of equipment and allowing us to remove not only the over one mile is one and a third mile of fencing that we were able to convert um, doing that type of work. But then it's also going to allow us to work with landowners and other organizations um, across the West to remove this type of fencing. So it's a great investment for us. So if you're in Wyoming, Northern Colorado, Eastern or Western Nebraska, and you have some fence to roll, go ahead and get in a or Sean, a call and, and we can help you. But Jody, before we jump into what we've got on tap for 2022, I want to, I want to loop back to Sean and, 
and I know he's been working on some other projects throughout the state. And I just want to, you know, give him an opportunity to weigh in on, on what he's been able to get done during this very crazy time that is, you know, pandemic 2021. Well, I've gotten good work done all around the state. We've been working with landowners and researchers and the game and fish. Um, we recently funded some dumpsters to help mitigate the spread of CWD up in the Sheridan area. We funded some collars in the Bighorn Mountains. Um, in that area too, next year, we are gonna be utilizing that wire winder. We already have a um, fence removal project getting planned with the Sheridan Community Land Trust in combination with us. So that kind of stuff's going on up there. We're doing quite a bit of work over um, between Gillette and Newcastle. We're helping with another collar project over there. Um, we also are help, helping to fund some ongoing research on that hoback to the Red Desert migration route for mule deer. Um, and, you know, of course, we've got a lot going on in Platte Valley and we're getting some other projects funded here shortly. Um, we do have lots of volunteer opportunities going to come up this summer. So make sure you watch us either on Facebook or I know you all get inundated with emails, but if you're a member and you get an email from us that says volunteer opportunity, click it and see what it is because we have some fun stuff going on and I get you know messages from people afterwards like, I didn't know about that. Well, it's hard to get to everyone. So we try to put it as many places as we can. But if you watch the social media and your email, those are probably the two easiest ways to see the opportunities you have to help out mule deer yourself. And I'll just add, Jody, because I keep close tracks of what's going on. You know, we also funded some collaring work in the Uinta Mountains um, over there to figure out where those animals in the southwestern part of the state are doing so that we can then go back in and, and do conservation projects to benefit those herds. And then Sean's been part of a new initiative in uh, uh, in the Cody area, the Absorca Fence Initiative, where once again, taking fences that are causing problems or unneeded off the landscape. And so it's been a busy year in Wyoming and, you know, uh, we that that's without even talking about the, the you know, the, the other thing we want to cover the Wyoming whiskey uh, project that Sean's got going on. Yeah. Before you do that, I want to dovetail. So, and just touch on, again, we continue to talk about migration initiative or the, the overall migration corridor type stuff. You mentioned Uinta. We talked about the Platte Valley herd, the bags herd. These we, we're talking Wyoming here, but those are all herds that we now know for sure are crossing boundaries. We, we all we assumed, but that bags herd goes down into Colorado. That Uinta herd is going down into to northern Utah. And, and again, anecdotally, we knew all of that, but we didn't necessarily. Those animals have to, actually, Jody, are going into Idaho also. And going to Idaho. Yeah. So there yeah. are a lot of cross boundary issues. And you know, traditionally, a state agency works on their state herd, and they, they it's not saying that they're not working on them there in their state, but if we know the full extent of that, this gives an opportunity for groups like MDF and others who can work transboundary to help make a difference uh, for those animals that are, are, are commuters uh, on an annual basis back and forth across state lines. They don't care if it's Wyoming or Mon uh, uh, Colorado or Idaho. They're just going back into their, their traditional areas that they spend the summer or the winter. So anyway, let's get, I, I, I interrupted the whiskey uh, and, and I cannot, should not with uh, knowing Steve and Sean to a certain extent, I'm sure uh, I, I, interrupting whiskey is not a good idea. Tell so us I gotta about set that. this up. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was probably a year and a half ago. I was coming home from somewhere. I was South. Uh, I was down in the middle of the uh, South of Cody down in that, you know, wide open country. That's wonderful. And, and Sean called and we were just chatting and, he was talking to me about ideas uh, for fundraising, promotion of the migration stuff and and said, you know, what would you think about um, working with uh, the Eastman's and, and doing something with Wyoming whiskey? And I said, sounds like a great idea. I'd buy a bottle. And Sean, I'll turn it over to you from there. So. Yeah, it started basically just visiting with Ike Eastman at a Christmas party about doing some whiskey. And they decided to donate half of a cask of whiskey, which ended up being, I think, 59 bottles the first year that we could use for fundraising. So they designed a custom label for the first bottle that has one of the living legends. And, you know, they put Popeye on the first one. They're going to put Morty and Goliath on the next two rounds of the bottle. So far, they've done really well at events. We've sold them from... So, so Sean, I'm going to stop you right there. People 
Now, I can't believe this, but people that follow the Mule Deer Foundation may not know who Popeye, Morty, and Goliath are. Um, we just need to say that those are three of the most famous bucks Wyoming has ever produced. Um, Famous, animals. famous because of the Eastmans. Um, right, the Eastmans yes. have a, a tradition there, you know, for, <laughs> I don't know if anybody who loves mule deer doesn't know the Eastmans, but this family has been um, such a leader on helping to show off Wyoming and the West for, for big game hunters. And um, their cinematography, their early videos um, were what captured the, the, the feel of hunting big game in the West. And they featured these three, they, these were animals that they were able to get some video coverage of, um, and that's how they gained notoriety for the size and, and their, their incredible stories. All right, Sean, back to you. <laughs> yeah, so anyways, we've been selling it at Wyoming events. Um, that's basically the only place it's being sold um, due to shipping issues. We can't really get it out of the state anyway, but so far all the bottles have done really well and all the money that we're generating from these bottles is hitting the ground right here in Wyoming. 90% of the money we make on those hits the ground in Wyoming. After we sell, you know, the bottles this year, we'll decide where the money's going to go. Um, and that's pretty awesome of Eastman's to do that donation. And we really appreciate Wyoming whiskey as well. Cause they gave us seven or eight casks to choose from. So we actually went and chose those casts personally and made sure they were really good whiskey. And you can actually watch a video online if you go to Eastman's or if you go to the MDF page, it's on there as well um, on how we chose that whiskey and why. Um, but yeah, it's a great project and it's a cool fundraiser. And most people are buying it because the bottle's just amazing and they want to support, you know, mule deer in Wyoming. Um, I don't know how many of them will actually be drank, but if you do drink it, it's great whiskey. So I was, I was going to say that exact thing. But well, I'm, I'm going to get two, one for one drink to and drink one and one to keep. So, <laughs> um, Sean's being a little modest here. I mean, the, the, the label is awesome. They're hand numbered. It's a limited run. You know, we're committed for at least three years. And then Sean actually went the extra step. He took one of the barrel tops recently and was able to get it engraved with the label um with with Popeye and get it signed and now he's using that as a fundraiser so you know we're looking at um you know tens of thousands of dollars over the next couple of years that's going to go back on the ground in partnership with Eastman's money that we can use as leverage and match to raise other money to go out and do some of the things that we've been talking about in migration corridors and winter ranges yeah, so if you want to get one of these bottles, you have to show up to a Wyoming fundraiser. Um, and the easiest way to find those is probably through social media or your local newspaper, or even give me an email or a shout and I can tell you what's coming up. And the cool thing is, is once this label's gone this year, it's gone. There's only 59 bottles ever. Then next year we'll have, you know, somewhere between 50 and 70 bottles as well with a different label. And you can collect the full series. So we know we're going to have some people who are going to try to collect the full series. So I will try to sell the same numbers at the same events so you can collect the series too if you want. You know, I am not a whiskey drinker, but I think I might need to uh, have one of those bottles reserved. I think that's a pretty cool deal. So one last thing on that, Sean, what are you averaging? I know that, you know, we had a target, but but the last time I talked to you, I was I was extremely impressed on what we're getting per bottle. And remember, these are fundraisers. You're not paying for the whiskey. You're paying for the habitat work that's resulting from the whiskey. The average has been about 400 a bottle. Uh, the most it's sold for is 1,000 for a bottle. And the least I've sold it at an event for, I think, was 220. So it's doing really well, and people are definitely supporting mule deer and see the value and also just want that cool bottle. I mean, thanks to them for designing such an amazing bottle. For sure. So again, I, a real quick plug, uh, because I, I'm not sure many people, we have not talked about this, the Eastman's put together a tremendous um, show called Imperiled that ran uh, on, I believe it was the Outdoor Channel uh, a couple of months ago. I saw it, we had seen it earlier, um, but they ran again uh, here on the on TV recently. So if you should track that down, try to find that video and watch it if you haven't done that. And also, um, we're going to hopefully have Ike at a, a public listening session, a speaker for us on mule deer during Western Hunting and Conservation and Expo this year. That's details to follow. We're, we're trying to track, trying to lock all of that stuff in, but you're going to have an opportunity to hear about some of that history um, similar to what was in the imperiled video. So let's take a break uh, and then we can come back and just wrap up some of the what are you guys doing from here. So let's hear from our supporters. 
For three generations and over 75 years, Weatherby has remained dedicated to excellence and innovation in producing quality rifles, shotguns, and ammunition. With 15 cartridges and unmatched ballistic superiority, know that nothing shoots flatter, hits harder, or is more accurate. Carry a Weatherby on your hunt of a lifetime and know you can depend on it to get the job done. At Weatherby, we exist to do one thing, inspire the dreams of hunters and shooters. To learn more, visit weatherby.com. All right, we're back, and we just heard all about Wyoming Whiskey and that fundraising option and some of the other projects you guys have going on. That's a lot behind you, but I know you've got a lot coming up. What's on the horizon for you guys? Yeah, so moving forward, there's quite a few projects that are happening here in Wyoming, and I think that some of them that deserve at least being mentioned is um, we have one here in the Platte Valley where we will be doing some shrub uh, work. So we're actually going to be doing some mosaic shrub mowing here and it's going to be near Pennock Mountain. And so really the idea for a project like that is that first off, we're building our relationships with those landowners and with the federal partners, but we're also going to be increasing the, the age class diversity within those shrubs, which not only helps with field breaks, but it also helps with the the types of growth that we're seeing within shrubs, um, increasing the amount of forage for wildlife. And so we're really targeting projects like that within migration corridors for these wildlife, um, just trying to help them get to their winter range or summer range in a healthier um, state. Um, so, and then a couple of the other projects that we have going are some volunteer projects that we'll be doing over towards Laramie. We're going to be removing fencing over there that is adjacent to um, crucial winter range. So the the state and the federal partners have already done a fantastic job of trying to keep people out of the crucial winter range during those those critical times. But now we're trying to take it one step further and removing those barriers for those wildlife. So I think moving forward, those are the types of projects that we're going to be looking at. And then within the forest, really targeting projects that are increasing aspen for the wildlife so that they have um, better cover and they have a better habitat overall within the forest. So those are some of the projects that we'll be working on here moving forward. And then I think Sean has some too. So Jody, we, we recently were able to bring Nicole down to some shrub planting in Colorado. And as we know, the Mullen fire really affected the Medicine Bow National Forest, Southern Wyoming down there. And she's already uh, a couple weeks later, starting to push, you know, that sort of idea onto those rangelands in winter range and transition range on the Mullen fire. And, and there, there's going to be a lot to do there. There's probably 50 years worth of restoration. But, you know, as MDF moves forward on this wildfire and the effects of it in the restoration of, of winter ranges, summer ranges, transitional ranges that have been affected by wildfire is going to be an extremely big portion of the work we do. Uh, mainly because there's going to be a lot of funding associated with it. But again, getting back to specifics, maximum return on investment, maximum conservation effect. Those are the sorts of things we're looking at. And then really pre-fire prevention, thinnings, um, some of you know some of the work that Nicole just described where we're going to go into a shrub. I know this country really well. I know that country that she's talking about, and it is extremely valuable. So if it burned and we lost it all, it would be a major issue. So she's going to be able to create some diversity, some heterogeneity in there. And, and so if a fire gets in that country, it may not take everything out and we'll have some left. And, and you know, that's that'll make a big difference for those deer herds. For sure. And and we, we say this a lot, but I think it always bears repeating for people who may not have heard some of those earlier episodes. So when we talk about mule deer movement and we talk about um, their needs along that way, the barriers, so the fencing, roads, things like that are obviously a very visible, easy to understand issue. Um, losing something because of development of some kind that, that blocks the ability for them to move along. But the other big part of that is the ability for those animals to move between the seasonal habitats and maintain their 
their health, maintain their their body condition so that they can raise young and, and be productive. And so these habitat projects are essential to creating the forage that they need to get fat enough to be able to weather a Wyoming winter, to be able to get through summer. Quite frankly, we're hearing and, and understanding that that summer range condition is almost as important because they need to be able to continue that to get to their to their winter range and, and stay healthy there. So it's a combination of these, but that that forage, that habitat work, it's 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 good for fire resiliency. But that fire resiliency also is exactly what we need to give the animals the food that they need uh, to to build their body condition throughout the year. So, um, Sean, I wanted to get back to you a little bit because you obviously the events that you run, we mentioned it through Wyoming Whiskey. We mentioned some of your volunteer stuff, but you've got some banquets that I know you've had or beers for deer events or uh, gunapaloozas that you've done. Tell us a little bit about what you've had going on, but then also what you've got coming up and and some of the work that you're doing through your big game license um, tag sales and things like that. So we've been doing quite a few different events around the state. Mainly in the fall, it was Gunnapaloozas and I guess one banquet, but they've all went really well and people seem to come out in droves and support us and, you know, spend their hard-earned money to help mule deer out, which we greatly appreciate. Then as the spring hits, we're going to have quite a few other banquets coming up. So the easiest place is just to go to muledeer.org slash Wyoming or our Facebook page or check your email if you've went to previous events. So just check those, but we do have them scheduled from January on in Wyoming. And those are always a good time. And there's always a bunch of cool prizes and stuff up for grabs at those from artwork to firearms to other cool things. So well, yeah, specifically, I saw what you have a January 15th in Sheridan, right? Yeah, we have January 15th in Sheridan. We have January 22nd in Casper. We're going to have a Gunapalooza at the end of January in Rollins. We're going to have our one of our biggest banquets in Cheyenne on February 5th. Then we'll have another banquet in Alpine on March 12th. Um, we'll have an event in Agunapalooza in Wheatland at the end of March. So, And we'll have some other ones popping up as we go, too. So there's fun stuff going on around the state. Um, and while we're doing that, we're going to be doing a bunch of other different fundraising things and, you know, getting work planned for the summer so we can actually get that money on the ground and get some volunteer stuff going because the whole reason you attend those fundraisers is to get good stuff done for mule deer so we greatly appreciate everyone's attendance at both the fundraisers and the volunteer opportunities for sure so I want to give you all a, a chance to to wrap it up and think through uh, if there's anything we didn't cover or, or something else you want to add but I, I do want to also emphasize obviously you learn about these events. Uh, you learn about some of the stuff we do when you're a member of MDF. We we're, we're, we need more members to help us out. But what we may not, this podcast is a good opportunity to talk about is MDF is, um, we're getting better at it for sure, but but we've been kind of an under the radar in some ways on the work that we've done. So, so hopefully this conversation we've had has helped you see some of the work that we've been doing that, that you may not have realized uh, that MDF is doing. And that your membership, your engagement, your help at volunteer events, coming to a banquet helps us do the work that we're doing. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I think it's an important thing to, to keep in mind is, is, you know, we're, we're so busy doing some work that, that maybe you don't realize we're doing as much as we're doing. Well, and, and, you know, Jody, we've talked a lot about Wyoming for a lot of reasons. Um, uh, Maybe it's because I call you, it. I call it. I was going to say because it's yeah. home for you. <laughs> yeah, really home, um, you know, my but... wife's from there. Got family there. I've spent my formidable years as a biologist in Wyoming. Um, but it is between Wyoming and Colorado and Idaho. I mean, we're looking at the states that have the most hunting opportunities. Um, Montana in there, and a lot of our supporters are hunters. And you know, for example, the the last issue of the magazine had. Basically, the synopsis of my brother and I, my nephew, hunting last year in Wyoming. And the response, I, I mean, I got texts and emails. Oh, where were those bucks? And they were good bucks. They weren't great bucks. They were good bucks, you know. And it was a, an interesting story. But, you know, that's what we're working for. We're working for this resource. We're working for our opportunity to use this resource, whether you ever pull a trigger or not. And one of the things I saw this year, and I wanted to throw it out there to see what Sean and and Nicole thought was is in Montana last year, you know, the drought last summer really hit us hard on a lot of our animals, particularly our mule deer. What's the situation in Wyoming? I mean, we have long, hard winters, 
but you know, where, where, where are you guys thinking we're at right now? And, you know, uh, what, did you have a successful hunting season if you got out? So I will say overall in Wyoming, we had dry summer. The southeastern corner there was the only spot that really stayed wet. So we didn't get a lot of forage and mule deer need those groceries to make it through winter. Um, we've had an easy winter so far. We'll see how that goes. We also had numerous EHD outbreaks. And then last winter, we had a horrible storm that hit that southeast between Casper and Cheyenne that, um, you know, either killed a bunch of mule deer and or hurt some of the fawning that happened down there. So weather has been sort of rough on mule deer, but they're fairly resilient as long as this doesn't happen every year. Um, but, you know, when we do habitat work, we make it easier for them to make it through those hard times. And that's one of the reasons that habitat work is so important because, you know, getting good groceries, even when times are tough, is important. So, but yeah, overall, mule deer in the state are still doing well. I had a great hunting season just because my youngest daughter got her first buck mule deer. So that's that awesome. was a father moment. She made a perfect shot and the mule deer didn't suffer. And we're getting the head boiled out and going to have it on her wall for christmas awesome yeah and i think i'll just add in there real quick that this winter will be a a a telling sign for us we've had a very easy winter here in wyoming and i even saw an article the other day that was showing that we haven't had the freezes like we normally do and so when we we think of that as a good thing because we're not having to deal with the snow and the the icy conditions but it's actually causing the trees to start budding out again and so we're at, we're at a point where we're we're kind of afraid that that's going to kill off a lot of our trees as we mm. continue throughout the the winter season um and so as Sean mentioned being able to do these habitat projects that increases the resiliency within this region is really important for the wildlife not only mule deer but other other wildlife as well um and i guess for me i'm eating tag soup this year so (laughs) i did not have a great hunting season but it was still great to see everybody else's stories and um photos from the fields and so um i guess next year i'll be trying again try hot sauce on that it helps that tag soup go down a lot easier (laughs) steve's got a lot of experience with that (laughs) (laughs) well you know a couple things we didn't talk about and i guess we'll get it for next time is you know the work we do on on the auction tags the big game license coalition you know some of the politics that we get involved in our relationship with the commission and the other groups in the state and you know i'm happy to say that we're we're doing well in wyoming uh sean you're doing a great job nicole you've hit the ground running you've You've been a, a huge asset to the MDF conservation team and to mule deer in general. And I'm glad you're home. Um, so am I. <laughs> you know, so, you know, Jody, I, I think that as we look at 2022, um, pending a real hard winter, I think Wyoming's going to be in pretty good shape for, for the near future for mule deer. Well, certainly, certainly making a lot of efforts for the long haul of making sure that Wyoming continues to have solid mule, uh, mule deer numbers. So, guys, thank you so much. We are definitely past our time, uh, but we appreciate you guys taking the time to be on the podcast today and hope that uh, our listeners are either learning something or, or just hearing more about all of the incredible work that is going on in Wyoming and one of those hotbeds for mule deer conservation. So on that note, this is Jody Stemler. And I'm Steve Belinda, and thank you for talking mule deer. Thanks for talking mule deer with Steve Belinda and Jody Stemmler. The Mule Deer Foundation is the only conservation group in North America dedicated to restoring, improving, and protecting mule deer and black-tailed deer and their habitat. MDF is a strong voice for hunters in access, wildlife management, and conservation policy issues. To find out more, visit www.muledeer.org and stay tuned for the next episode of Talking Mule Deer.